As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, and I can see some of your texts and uh, WhatsApps coming in uh, to do with the no confidence uh, vote and the subsequent confidence vote in Minister for Justice Helen McEntee, which of course was uh, won. The government won that vote uh, last night. But a lot of the papers are saying that Sinn Féin's attempt to try to remove Helen McEntee actually spectacularly backfired on them with the main opposition party, party being hit by a series of scathing political attacks tax in the Dáil uh, yesterday. Now they did, the government did win the confidence motion. It was won by uh, 20 votes and a very defiant Ellen McEntee told the Dáil that Sinn Féin wanted instability and not solutions. And she said, I quote, their mantra is to sack, to sue and to bully. She added that it may surprise Mary Lou Macdonald to know that this is not an episode of The Apprentice and you can't fire your way out of situations. Now, it was a blistering uh, debate and in the debate, the Sinn Féin leader was compared at one stage to the former US President Donald Trump. She was accused of seeking to exploit the crisis which followed the riots in Dublin. That was after the three children and the creche childcare worker uh, was stabbed outside uh, a school in Dublin. The Thánaiste and the Fianna Fáil leader, Micheál Martin, as well as a number of senior members of Fianna Gael, all focused on Mary Lou Macdonald's association with the convicted torturer and former Sinn Féin party councillor Jonathan Dowdall as they poured scorn over her party's relationship with law and order. The Dáil heard, uh, also heard that officials in the Department of Justice are filled with dread at the prospect of a Sinn Féin minister for uh, justice. Uh, Leo Varadkar went on uh, to talk about and highlight the previous um, uh, guard the murders that had taken place by the IRA. Sinn Féin, of course, had tabled the motion of no confidence in Helen McEntee 
but it was countered by a confidence motion by the government in the minister. And by doing that, of course, it afforded then the members of the government party. It gave them more speaking time. Helen McEntee said that Gardaí contained the riot. They restored law and order within a number of hours. And she went on to accuse Sinn Féin of using what it was an appalling situation. And she said they're doing it to play pay to play politics and to point score. Now, the Dáil debate yesterday heard the Sinn Féin leader again insist that the minister's position is untenable and said she must go. But the government ministers and TDs used the opportunity then to defend Helen McEntee and then at the same time go on to attack Sinn Féin. Leo Varadkar, for example, said the original Sinn Féin motion was a political stunt and he went on to express full confidence in his Fine Gael colleague. He accused Mary Lou of engaging in absolutely disgraceful behaviour and she said and particularly where she said it took two weeks for the government to contact the school he said the leader of the opposition has quite disgracefully misled the Dáil. There was contact from the government with the school within 24 hours of the event and several ministers had actually contacted the school and he went on to say Mary Lou knows that it's deliberately misleading and he went on to be do the decent thing for once and withdraw it but it was the Minister Josepha Madigan, it was she who described the Sinn Féin leader as Mary Lou Trump over the comments. The Thornishla expressed confidence in Helen McEntee and accused Sinn Féin of seeking to intimidate opponents and journalists alike. And the junior minister, Patrick O'Donovan, he said that the Sinn Féin motion has spectacularly backfired and said the people around the country that he had spoken to were disgusted that the party would link the attack on a five-year-old with the resignation of the Justice Minister and the Garda uh, Commissioner. And he also went on to raise previous comments that had been made by uh, Sinn Féin's Louise O'Reilly that the Minister for Justice should be taken out. And he made the point that if a male member of the House said that about a female member of the House, they would simply be gone. Now, Mary Lou had accused Helen McEntee of failing abysmally in her responsibilities as, as the Dáil uh, debated the motion of confidence. She said it's the responsibility for the Minister of Justice to ensure that our streets are safe and to ensure that our Gardaí have all of the resources that they need but she believed she had failed in her responsibilities and and that led to dire consequences Mary Lou says Helen McEntee's position was untenable and that she must uh, go. But of course, we know that didn't happen. The government won the motion by 83 votes uh, to uh, 63. There was just one uh, abstention. And of course, as we mentioned yesterday, if that vote had gone down, it would have immediately sparked a, a general election. And I don't think anyone in the government uh, or even around the country, I think, would want a general election at this time of the year. Now, Michael has been on to say uh, yesterday's Dáil vote of no confidence in Helen McEntee was a shameful move by Mary Lou Macdonald's party. However, they got their answer. It goes to show what they think of law and order in this country. Sinn Féin's never had difficulty with law and order and has difficulty with the Gardaí and the law and order together with a very selective memory. After yesterday's Dáil performance, Michael feels any chance of them forming a government in the next election is surely gone down the drain. He also says those independents and others who voted against the Justice Minister uh, were actually voting in favour of putting Matt Carty in as Minister for Justice. That would have been the upshot and should not be forgotten because, well, that's if they would have got, if, if they would have won the election, if an election 
uh, would have been forced to have been called. And that's from Michael. Thank you for that, Michael. And to remind you, of course, of our wonderful competition that's running right across uh, this week. And this is where we are hoping to have your Christmas covered here on C103 with our Super Value gift card giveaway. In total, €5,000 will be given away. We had another €500 winner yesterday, which was Louise Buckley from Waterfall. We are looking for winner number three today. So we need to get a qualifier at some stage on the programme. So what will happen, as has happened the two previous days, I will tell you when to text our WhatsApp in, but you can't do it before I give you your cue to uh, text. And then it's during a set period of about 10 minutes. Uh, We get all the entries in. We select one of the texters. I'll give them a quick call back. You'll answer a very, very simple Christmas uh, question. And that then makes you a qualifier for this programme. And you'll go forward to Martina's programme. Nick will have another qualifier. Ken had a qualifier this morning. Martina will have the fourth and final qualifier. And then after six, Martina selects one of the four daily qualifiers to get a call back. And that person gets a €500 super value gift card to cover your uh, all of that you need for Christmas this year. And wherever you live, across Cork City and County there'll always be a wonderful super value uh, near you and of course super value gift cards they're perfect for all occasions now you can pick them up in store but you can also get them online and if you want to go online you just search uh, super value gift cards only on C103 so another chance to win uh, today and I just want to stay on the theme of Christmas because I had a, a heartbreaking email in from a listener who, who doesn't want her name called out. She wants to remain anonymous and that's that's fine. She just signs herself a daily listener. And let me just read it to you. It says, Dear Patricia, as I write this email to you, I'm currently sitting in Marymount Hospice while my husband is asleep. He has terminal cancer and we don't know how much longer he has. I am really struggling. My dad passed away just before Christmas last year and I still find it very difficult to deal with his loss. I was always a great Christmas person. Couldn't wait to put up the Christmas tree on the 8th of December. Never, ever took it down before the 6th of January. But for me, Christmas is now completely different. I've tried to avoid shops and shopping centres, etc. It is such an emotional struggle. And to and add to that the everyday nightmare of trying to keep on top of bills, trying to make ends meet. It's lonely, it's sad and it's absolutely heartbreaking. And it's signed from somebody who always loved Christmas so much. I believe now I will never get that feeling back. Isn't that just... It's just heartbreaking. It really is heartbreaking to read uh, what you are going through at uh, the moment. And, you know, I was thinking about it when I got the email this morning. What I'd love you to do is maybe talk to somebody in Marymount Hospice about how you're feeling. I mean, the one thing about the hospice uh, model is they care not just for the per- for the person who needs the palliative care, but they care for, for everyone. So I'd really love you to, to speak to somebody, you know, a chaplain or a social worker. Now, look, they're not going to be able to take your pain away, but they certainly will understand uh, what you are going through. And, and I feel sure... As I read your email this morning, there will be listeners listening to this programme who will have walked in your shoes before and will understand that sense of loss and uh, grief. I mean, your, your, your beautiful dad 
is own is is just dead a year. So you're still coming to terms with his loss, and then to now be facing into the loss of your much loved uh, husband. It really is such a cruel double blow for you to be facing. I mean, all I can say to you is mind yourself. And I know everybody listening to your email this morning uh, will keep you all in in our thoughts and in our prayers, and and really hope that you get through this difficult uh, time. And if anybody out there has advice that they'd like to pass on to our listener or, or any suggestion of where she can go for help, as I say, nobody can remove her pain or remove the struggle that she's going through at the moment. But maybe somebody can offer advice. But just to say, we will keep you in our thoughts and in your prayers. And please, please look after yourself. According to a survey by Dundeal, 85% of electric car owners in Ireland say they found that running costs are cheaper than their previous traditional petrol or diesel vehicles with 62% saying that they plan to buy another EV as their next car. But range anxiety is still a factor for motorists not making that switch to electric. To discuss this in more detail, I'm joined by Georgian Herbert and Georgian is the motoring editor with the Sunday Independent. Good morning to you, Geraldine. Good morning. And you're welcome to the programme. Are people right to have range anxiety or is our charging infrastructure, is, is it getting better? Um, it's definitely improving, but I, I think there's, I suppose there's a couple of aspects. The first thing is the majority of people are charging at home. And if you have a driveway and you can install a home charger, the newer, um, the new electric cars have ranges of anything, you know, from 400 to up to 500 and even more kilometres of range. So there's more than enough for most people's commutes. Where the big problem occurs is when you're going on a long journey. You then, there's no two ways around it. You have to plan it. And I mean, I suppose petrol and diesel buyers our drivers don't have to plan long journeys. EV drivers do. There's lots of charging points around the country, but there is a shortage of fast chargers, you know, the ones that will actually do sort of 20% to 80% charge in, you know, about 30 minutes. And they're the kind of chargers and even faster ones that we need. There is a shortage of those. Depends on the areas of where you're, you're going in Ireland. Some are better served than others, but there's no doubt about it. The infrastructure does need to catch up. Yeah, and then, of course, you could arrive at the charging point and somebody could be there and you've got to wait for them to finish or if you get to the charging point and it's not working. Yeah, there's all sorts of problems. The other thing is, I mean, a lot of the apps are really, really good. So you can check in advance to see if the charging point is free. But what the app will tell you is if the charging point is actually in use. What it won't tell you, and this does happen, is if a petrol or diesel car decides to park in that space. Oh, and does that happen? It does happen. And then, so you come along and your app has told you this is free, great. And then you realise, no, it's not free. It is free, but I can't actually access it. So that is an issue. That, That I find that's a big problem around lunchtime, particularly in filling stations when you know when these places get busy and um, then people will just think oh there's a car space so I'll just grab it so that is a problem the other problem as you rightly identify is that the app is available but it's not actually working or there's some issue when you get there your car doesn't connect to it that can happen as well so there are there are issues it is getting better but it needs to get much better now the plan is to spend 100 million on the charging infrastructure over the next while by 2025 and um, there will be um the really fast, the high-speed charging points at every 60 kilometres along the motorway, that'll make a huge difference. But, you know, in 2025, it's still a bit away. Yeah, and even with the record high prices for electricity, there are still big savings to be made. Yeah, there's huge savings still. Again, it depends where you're charging. If you're charging at home and you're on a night rate, then you're making significant savings. If you're depending solely on the public charging network, 
you know, you're not making as much. But interestingly, the AA did a fuel survey in November and they identified that an EV driver who's driving, say, about 17,000 kilometres per year is spending about 978 fueling their vehicle. And that compares to 2,154 for a diesel car. So big savings there. And again, more savings if you're on um, a night rate at home. So there's even though there's still a premium to be paid for electric cars over a similarly sized petrol and diesel car, the running costs are considerably cheaper. Yeah, because I'm assuming that still is a deterrent for some is the cost of a new electric car. Yeah, because the problem is you go into a dealership and as I said, you see a similarly sized petrol, diesel or EV and the EV is going to be that more expensive. But as I said, you have to look at the total cost of ownership. So it's going to be much cheaper to service, it's going to be much cheaper to run. It is still cheaper to drive through the tolls, so that's being phased out at the end of the year. So, I mean, there are, you know, you you kind of have to look at at the total cost of ownership rather than just the sticker price. But definitely that price is still a deterrent for people. But are we starting to see a, a bigger demand for new electric cars here? Yeah, I mean, the growth is, is, is increasing all the time. I suppose the, we have we started with very small figures, very, very low figures, and we were doubling every year. The rate of growth is slowing down because I think the problem is now at the moment the sort of the early adopters have adopted. Now what we're trying to convince, I suppose, is that those ardent petrol and diesel buyers to kind of consider making the switch, and they're much more difficult to get to, to move. So while the numbers are increasing, you know, that, that growth has slowed down slightly. But there will always be a percentage of drivers who will just prefer a traditional petrol or diesel car. I mean, that's always going to be the case, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, the survey says that consumers being adverse to change, you know, and I do think no matter what you do with some buyers, they just won't consider it. But I think the more EVs we have on the road and the more people know somebody with an EV and they work with somebody and they can ask an EV driver all those questions because really there's no better person to speak to than somebody who actually owns an EV to, you know, to explain all the, how it works and the advantages and all of that. So I think the more EVs that are on the road, the more those, those I suppose, you know, ardent um, buyers will be convinced. But it'll take a while and we're, we're nowhere near there at the moment. And I have noticed, Jordan, people that do own and drive EV cars, they love to talk about them. They love to sell the benefits of them. <laughs> They do, definitely. And it, it, it's estimated, I read somewhere, that one EV buyer or driver will convert up to five others. That doesn't surprise me. see why. And I've met loads of them at charging points because invariably you do have time to kill and you end up talking to them. And they are, they're very enthusiastic about buying, which, you know, has to be a positive. Yeah, yeah. And, and whenever we discuss uh, electric vehicles, I mean, I do think it's the, it's the cost initially acts as, as a deterrent. We inevitably get the questions and I can see a couple of texts in already. Um, are, there, are there many available on the second second-hand market. Yeah, you see, this is the big problem at the moment because we sold, I think it's just under 23,000 this year. I think it was just under 16,000 last year. So they're all still quite small figures. But that second-hand market is growing. But it's going to take a few years to have a really decent second-hand market, the sort of choice that you have for petrol and diesel. So, I mean, there are second-hand cars there. You know, you can buy them. You can also, and I think it's worth pointing out, get your battery checked before you buy, so you're not buying blind. I think a lot of people worry about second-hand EVs because they think, oh, God, you know, will the battery last? But there just isn't enough of a supply at the moment, and it'll take a few years for all those new EVs to filter into the second-hand market. Okay, some questions in. Seamus says, I have a car at the moment that I use to tow trailers. The car I have at the moment, I have a 500-kilometre range while, while towing. I can tow 1,200 kgs. Do any of the EVs come even close to this? 
There are ones that tow. The only problem is that obviously your range is going to be effect- impacted by towing. So you have to bear that in mind. But all of the Teslas tow, and there are there are a number of um, of cars that do. As I said, you just have to, the, whatever range is quoted, it's going to be considerably lower when you're towing. Yeah, you're, for um, obvious reasons, yeah. When you're, to- yeah, yeah. Well, when you're towing, because obviously the battery is, is going to be working much harder. Bill, Billy wants to know, can you charge an EV overnight on a smart meter? He's hearing that people have had to replace their smart meter with an old meter so they can charge their v- EV overnight on the night rate of electricity. No, that shouldn't be an issue. No. I mean, the smart meter should be exactly what you're doing because, you know, you can you can actually look at the demand during the day and decide what, what you need and move everything tonight to a night rate. So, no, that shouldn't be an issue at all. OK, and then a caller is concerned about the life of a battery in an electric uh, car. Can they be very expensive to replace? It is very, very rare to replace a battery. Very rare. Um, if anything goes wrong, they're modular, so you can actually replace components of them. So it is... It's, very rare. It's one of those things that people hear about and, you know, they might hear one story of a battery being replaced, but it's very rare for a battery to be replaced. And as I said, if you're buying a second-hand one, you can get the life of the battery checked in advance. Okay, I've no understanding. Maybe you might understand what this means. Somebody says, can you ask Geraldine, if the legal situation in relation to the ESB cabinet has been sorted out for an EV sub board as a cable runs from my cabinet, which would be far shorter than from the board in the kitchen? I have no idea. I have no idea what that means. I'm sorry if you could give us any more detail on that because I don't don't really understand the question. And obviously, from the way you're talking, Geraldine, you are an EV driver. Well, I don't own a car. I drive a different car every week. That's, you know, that's my difficult job. But the vast majority of cars I drive are EVs these days. So I'm well used to the public network and all of the the stuff that goes on, on with it. And are you a fan over traditional petrol and diesel? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I suppose just the convenience of being able to charge at home, you know, and get up in the morning with a full charge. But definitely, I wouldn't personally recommend anyone buying an EV if they haven't got a home charger. You really do need one because if you're relying on the public charging network, it's not only inconvenient, but it's also an awful lot more expensive. But if you have a driveway and you can install a home charger, definitely an EV is well worth considering. OK, and just very finally, from seeing as you are the, the motoring uh, uh, journalist, we lost the Irish uh, motorsport legend. And Rosemary Smith. Um, did you ever interview her? Did you ever chat with her? I did. I interviewed her many times. Oh my God, she was such a character and she had some fabulous stories to tell. She will, we will never see the like of her again. Yeah, she was terrific. She really was. It's funny, the, the younger generation, I, I mentioned her name here uh, earlier in the office and some people looked at me, didn't know who she was, but she was an absolute legend. And of course, it was here in Cork that she broke that amazing land speed record. That's right, in the 1979. Car- yeah, in the Carragher yeah. She was incredible. She was incredible. She was also the oldest person in the world ever to drive a Formula One car, which she did in, in 2017. My goodness. At My the age of 79. <laughs> but she broke, I mean, she, you know, she she completely defied um, societal norms. I was, I was only reading earlier. She actually learned to drive when she was 11 and she got, then she was she couldn't get her driving license until she was 16. But her father taught her to drive when she was 11. So she was into cars from a very, very young uh, age. Uh, and she rests in, in peace, uh, the late great Rosemary Smith. Listen, Georgian, really pleasure talking to you. Thank you for that. Thank you. And thanks for joining us this morning. Good morning to you. That is
That is Geraldine Herbert, motoring editor uh, with the Sunday Independent. Now, there's an ongoing protest outside Abbeville House, which is a former B&B located at St James's Place in Fomoy. Local residents are concerned since it was proposed that the building would be used as an emergency accommodation centre for international protection applicants. Laura Boyle is part of the group and she joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Laura. Good morning, Patricia. And Thanks for having me. Well, you're welcome to the programme. Now, it's a 24-7 vigil. I don't know if you're calling it a vigil or a protest, but it's running, it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. How many people are involved, Laura? Um, we have about 100 people in our group that contribute in different ways, Patricia. But there's a core of about, I suppose, 30 people that are, yeah, we're manning the tent uh, 24-7 all the people are working people bar the retired lots of grandmothers and grandfathers we have there's a man who's battling cancer so he's off work my own son is a chef his restaurant is closed for a few weeks coming up to christmas so he's helping out but everyone else is managing the 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 schedule you know in between night shifts and working i work full-time myself as with my husband and i really wanted to dispel the myth that is out there that we're all kind of wasters um with nothing better to do with our time. It is an enormous logistical effort on behalf of a few very brave, dedicated souls in the community. And and you battled a few days of freezing cold weather day and night. It was. It was yeah, it was freezing. It gave us a, a, a taste, a very unfortunate taste of what homeless people have to deal with and people living in caravans and that. And, and we've had those visitors to our tent and they have to battle that every night of the week. So for us, um, we can we can manage it. We can handle it. We have a good system going. Um, I went down at half four this morning myself and let my son come up. Um, so we are, yeah, we're managing it. We have good warm blankets and the community are, are, are donating uh, water bottles, blankets, um, um, sleeping bags, and we have some good patio heaters. And the community are, are, are donating uh, kegs of gas, um, So which is important. And petrol for our generators. So we have a good system going, but it's a challenging time coming up. Okay, okay. outline what are your main concerns, Laura? So our main concerns, first of all, if I just set the scene of the area, um, if I can, Patricia, I live four doors up from Abbeville. It's on the corner of a square in which there's at least 28 children and families. So it's a a residential area, more or less town centre residential area. I myself have three children, two daughters and a son. Um, my, two of my children were born in the house here, four doors up, so we're embedded in the community. It's a residential area. It's a historic area, and it's a very most important in amenity area. The town park is across the road, playground. People come in from all around the, the, the town, from the country, to use the park to walk and bring their children. Buses pull up there in the morning at 5 a.m. for the swimming. So it is a very busy um, area of children, women and families. I walk my dog in the park across the road at all hours of the night, as do other women. So when you put into that situation, then 56 single men living in the house in such a in such an area, um, there is obviously going to be a risk. And I've said it very many times when I've um, been talking about this. I really wouldn't care if there are 56 Tibetan monks going into the house or 56 Irish men going into the house. The conditions under which they're going to go in, which will be overcrowded, six people off into a room sharing a bathroom, is already uh, potential for chaos. Um, But when you take the situation that these people will be coming from different nationalities, different cultures, different religions, different languages, 
it is obviously a powder keg. And also, I'd like to just mention the fact that, you know, we're being told a lot, well, these people are, we should be more compassionate. These people are um, fleeing desperate situations. The fact of the matter is that desperate situations make desperate people who have little or nothing to lose. And this makes them potentially volatile and the situation potentially dangerous. We cannot risk our community, and I won't risk my two daughters' health and safety or my own, um, with such a powder keg four doors down for me. Have you been in contact with the Department of Integration about their plans for Abbeville? Um, it's over a month now. I think it's the 1st of November since I've started trying to work on this. I've spoken to people from all sectors of society um, and the politicians, the local councillors, and indeed the representatives of the owners or the owners. So I've been um, dealing with everyone. But the, the roots of communication are very complicated, Patricia, and it's very hard, even for the councillors, would you believe, to get, um, to get an ear into those in Dublin, we'll say. So it took us a long time to even understand the best ways to... So what I'm saying is there's no engagement, basically. Zero engagement. And yeah. the roots of communication are, I don't know, are they deliberately blurred? But it certainly makes getting our message across and getting um, uh, having a voice in any of this it, almost impossible. Yeah, so, and it's been an ongoing problem, Laura, all over the country is this lack of engagement and and therefore the fear of the unknown. People then start to get very worried about, you know, I mean, we're constantly hearing about undocumented people who are these people. Whereas if there's some form of communication as to who might become residents, it might allay some of the fears. It might, Patricia. This is a very complex issue now that you've, that you've raised, um, and I'd just like to address two parts of it. We have been accused of scaremongering. Um, even if the, the government were to allay our fears about the people that are coming in, they can't deny the fact that we know at least 50 to 60% are coming in without documentation. And we know also, and anyone who denies this with their head in the sand about the fact that where countries have operated um, open borders like we seem to be doing at the moment was very poor and weak um, security controls, crime rates go up. I mean, people don't like to accept that, and they're saying we're scaremongering. The countries that keep um, records of the, the perpetrators of crime are seeing that it is often people who come in from um, under these conditions. And we know, you know, as I said, they're saying desperate situations, so that is, you know, that creates desperate situations and it creates an increase in crime. We, we also see, and the footage is there, again, I have to say, I'm a scientist myself and I operate on an evidence base, and the evidence is very strong that um, there's problems around the country in terms of increase in crime and volatile situations where you have men housed in these conditions. So even if they are to give us all these assurances, we would still be, I think, justifiably very concerned given the evidence that is before our very eyes on this. But there's only one other I'd really like to mention is that Initially, when we were trying to, you know, avoid having to put our head above the parapet and stand out in public, which is a very scary thing to do with the vitriol and misinformation that's out there, we were trying to, with my immediate neighbours here, um, a bargain or agree or achieve a, achieve a trade-off through which women and children would be moved into the house instead of men. Mm-hmm. But we have since learned that what's happening is, obviously, it's mostly men that are coming into the country, so there aren't that many women and children and we now know that women and children are actually being pulled out of direct provision centres where they have made a, a home, integrated, have jobs and have children in school to be moved into centres like, say, where we are in Abbeville. But this is causing huge disruption to vulnerable. Again, always women and children are the ones at the bottom of the ladder. And so I, I feel I could not now with um, any 
whole heart say we will accept women and children here because it means they'll probably be pulled out of somewhere where they're already integrated to be moved in here and the men destined for Abbeville then moved into the places they've come out of. And we saw in Killarney earlier in the year where the community rallied around women and children that were going to be moved under such conditions. I think they were Ukrainian women and children. So I don't want to be part of that. So so, so I'm glad I've learned that because, you know, as I say, we were trying to think maybe women and children okay, would be and, and, you know, and it's fair to point out, Fomoy has been a very welcoming town. I mean, you have Ukrainian uh, refugees, you've got asylum seekers. They've all integrated very well into the community. They have, and the town has opened its arms. I mean, the town, I work with people from all over the world in my job. I mean, I live in my house, I rent my basement to people from all over the world. There is absolutely no question of the welcoming nature of the people of Formoy. We have been absolutely misrepresented in this whole debate and not really given an ear. And I really am grateful to you, Patricia, for having me on, because misrepresentation and the silencing and the cancel culture that's out there is, frankly, it's sinister, to be honest with you, because it's creating a lot of frustration in people who feel we don't have any voice whatsoever and all we're getting is slurs and vitriol from um, only, I have to say, a very small minority of the community because the town has done more than enough. Look, you've heard it all before. Um, I know Deirdre O'Brien was on with you um, last week. Yeah. The resources are absolutely um, a breaking point. My son came home with um, sores in his feet from mosquito bites from hol- a holiday two weeks ago and I rang the doctor and they basically couldn't give me a date for an appointment but said they are now operating an emergency clinic from five to six in the evening, whereby you can go down and wait and be seen with one specific issue for five minutes max. Now, like, where yeah, but that's yeah, that's a, that, that's a, that's a GP issue that's reflected all over the country that yeah. has got to be um, sorted out. But I think, um, Melora, at one stage there was um, a lot of. There was protest when they were moving the Ukrainians into St. Joseph's, wasn't it? And there, and there was a lot of misinformation at that time. And then when the Ukrainians moved in, it all worked out really well. Well, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to say, Patricia, first of all, they're not all Ukrainians in, in St. Joseph's. They're asylum seekers as well. Yeah. yeah. And indeed, since I've been doing and putting, putting my head on the block over this issue and down at the tent there and meeting people from across the whole community... It is no Pollyanna land up there, I'm sorry to say. There are concerns by residents in the area. There are men. I walk up there myself, myself and my husband walk our dog around St. Coleman's Pitch every night and we see people hanging in the shadows up there. They have nothing to do. They have no money. This is an absolute crazy situation to put the community into. So I'm sorry to say it isn't all utopia up there. But I was told a lot of the residents at St. Joseph's are now working. And and they possibly are. I don't fully know. I'm not going to comment on that. Maybe they are. But all I'm saying is people who live in the area, and I see it myself, are are talking about it isn't all the utopia that it's being portrayed to be. Uh, But it's manageable and we can manage it. That's why I keep saying for my community first, everyone in in the community at the moment deserves um, our concern and compassion. And that includes the people in St. Joseph's. If we continue to pile more and more people into this town, that is literally crumbling and hanging on by its fingernails, we are creating an absolute, I, I don't want to use that language on air, but I mean, I can't find words to describe the, the, the powder cake that, that is, that is, that is that the town okay. is currently uh, and, and, and what is the aim, Laura, of, of the vigil? I mean, do you plan, for example, if a bus pulled up today, are you going to prevent them from entering the building? Is, is, is that ultimately the plan? Well, Patricia, none of us, and I mean... I haven't heard, 
I don't even want to use the word racist because I'm so sick of how how weaponized that word has been. But there's not one I have more one racist or violent or um, illegal um, sentiment down in that tent in the past two and a half weeks. We have no intention of committing any illegal acts or violence, but we will have our absolute objection to this happening registered. These people will not be snuck in under our noses when we absolutely, completely object. We have 1,500 signatures between our change.org petition and our paper one that we're running down there. We know we represent the majority of the town in this, and we will have our objection um, registered, and we will document the people going in, and we will um, we will stand there maybe temporarily and try to block them. We are doing everything we can in the background, dealing with TDs, writing emails and letters, and getting our petition to get this stopped. We want the house turned into. There's no accommodation in the town whatsoever. It should be what it originally was as accommodation. We'd be happy to see it. Um, being used for um, domestic violence victims or something like that, something for the community. Our communities have paid too high a price for too long. We're putting our arms around the world and welcoming the world into the country and forgetting about the people outside our own gates. And come down. And, to and is, is, the, is, the, is the building ready? I mean, have they done all the refurbishment work that well, needed to be done? Very little was done because it's a protective, it's a protective structure. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a historic building. Under those guidelines, they are only allowed to do very little. You can see the chandeliers still hanging from the outside. The building is in pristine, um, pristine condition. You can see the sales details from when it was sold earlier in the well. The sale only went through in October of the beauty and grandeur of that building. And there are people living in caravans around from Moy. And I have a family very close to my heart living in a hostel in Tralee, A fifteen-year-old child in huge danger there. And it is, frankly, <laughs> upsetting. OK. All right. Listen, uh, Laura, I leave it there. John says, Patricia, we've had this going on for months. We are flooding the country with uh, illegal immigrants. We've done enough. Ireland is full. OK, listen, Laura, we will stay thank in contact so with you. Well, thank you for joining us as well this morning. Lovely talking to you. Thank uh, you thanks a million. Bye bye. That is uh, Laura Boyle just putting forward the concerns of the people in her area who are against Abbeville House, a former B&B located in Formoy, being used just for temporary uh, accommodation. I think it is uh, for 56 uh, single men. Let me get to, oh, before I get to some of your comments coming in, a reminder, if you've got smallies in the household, would you like your little ones to receive one of our famous Santa calls, which Nick Richards does every af- every year in the afternoon here on C103. Now, for your chance for your smallies to get a call from Santa live from the North Pole, might I add, You simply have to go to c103.ie. There is a form there that you need to fill out. Fill out the form, keep the fingers and toes uh, crossed and who knows, your little one might be getting a call from the man of the moment. That's Nick Richards, Santa calls their weekdays from 1pm but the important thing is you need to register your child now so please go to c103.ie and fill out that form. Now some of your thoughts and comments coming into the programme we mentioned, uh, we started the programme by talking about the no confidence motion and subsequently the confidence motion in the Minister for Justice Helen McEntee which was won by the government yesterday and Patricia there was no winners in yesterday's vote I still won't, I still wouldn't feel safe walking the streets of Dublin if the Minister for Justice thinks it's safe let her see the walk walking on the streets alone 
and someone else says Sinn Féin were put in their place yesterday. This is Mick and it's about time too. They, that comment that from one of the Sinn Féin Dáil deputies that she should be taken out, uh, that was terminology that was used in the days of the uh, Troubles and yeah, that was the comment that was made by Sinn Féin's Louise O'Reilly that the Minister for Justice should be uh, taken out. She was pulled up actually on that during that uh, debate uh, yesterday. And talking of yesterday on the programme, we had a, a listener, Thomas, who contacted us and he was rather annoyed. He'd been in his uh, local permanent TSB branch. He was in Balancolic and he noticed there was business people in there who were trying to lodge cash and they were told that all the machines were full and he thought it was absolutely ridiculous that you could go into a bank and the bank wasn't able to uh, take uh, cash uh, so we said we'd check it out and, and we tried to find out and see uh, what was going on so we got on to permanent uh, TSB and they tell us that between 10am and 12.45pm yesterday the self-servicing banking machines in the Balanconic branch were temporarily unable to accept cash log- lodgements. They said they had rectified the issue and they went on to apologise for any inconvenience caused but uh, Thomas was just scratching he said saying how could you have a bank that wasn't able to receive a cash he thought it was ridiculous we spoke about EV uh, cars in the last hour hi Patricia I have an electric vehicle for the last 18 months and I can't fault it I charge it at home at night 95% of the time happy driving so I have no problem at all when it comes to range anxiety and then Declan wanted to know and unfortunately Geraldine, our expert, was gone off the line by the time I got to see Declan's question. But Declan was wondering, if you have an electric vehicle, do you have to charge the car more often in very cold weather? Because he says cold weather is normally harder on batteries. And I checked it out. And you are right, uh, Declan. All EVs will have a shorter range in the winter months, particularly if you get a very cold spell like we had for the last uh, few days. And that is because cold weather does affect the battery, but also... If you're driving in cold weather, you have the heater turned up. So obviously it's using more of the charge on the battery. So yes, anyone who's got an EV will tell you that they they don't get as much range out of the car uh, during cold weather. 0818103103 and thank you to Donal in Bandon who contacted us this morning because he wants to highlight an act of kindness that happened to him yesterday and I love when people take the time to either call us or email us or text us uh, to let us know when somebody just did something that was really nice and kind and just to acknowledge it and what happened was uh, Donal gets the West Cork Cancer or the West Cork Connect not Cancer the West Cork Connect uh, bus and he was getting it from CUH. Now it's a double decker bus but he says he's not great at going up the stairs. He doesn't have the mobility to go up the stairs and obviously downstairs was full and a lady noticed that Donald was going to have problems trying to get up the stairs in the double decker bus so she hopped up off her seat straight away and said look have mine and I'll pop up uh, stairs. So he says as he was getting off the bus he sort of saw her and acknowledged and shouted over thank you very much for that that was a very kind thing that you did and she said look no problem at all and she said where, where are you going and he says oh I'm, I'm just walking home and she said well where do you live and Donald told her where in Bandon that uh, he was living and she said oh hop into the car she said um, I'll, I'll take you home and uh, she drove him home now he know all he knows is her name was Catherine and he does know that she lives somewhere near the Mart in Bandon but she, he has no more details than that and I'd love to think that maybe Catherine is listening today if you are Catherine thank you your, your little bit of kindness and it didn't take you much to get up off the seat and give it to Donald and it obviously didn't take you out of your way to drive Donald home but it was an act of kindness that really really very much 
appreciate it by Donald. So thank you for that, uh, Catherine. And then I've had some reaction to that heartbreaking letter that I read to you this morning from a listener who emailed us while uh, sitting in Marymount Hospice while her husband is asleep and she outlined her husband has terminal cancer bless his heart and she doesn't know how much longer he has and she just spoke about how she's really struggling at the moment because she lost her wonderful dad just before last Christmas still coming to terms with the loss of her dad and then her her husband ends up with a a terminal uh, diagnosis and you know she was talking about the fact that she's normally one of these Christmas people and we all know Christmas people We'll all have family members and friends who just love everything to do with Christmas. Can't wait to put up the tree and the tinsel and the baubles. And our listener was saying that that's just the type of person she was. But this year, with coming to terms with the death of her dad before last Christmas and now struggling uh, to come to terms with uh, her husband's um, terminal uh, illness, she's just finding it, 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 it's an emotional struggle was the words that she used and she's trying to avoid going into shops or going into supermarkets where you know it's in your face that, that Christmas is just a few weeks away and she said she's just finding every day a, a nightmare you know just trying to keep on top of everything else you know, like the bills and, and everything else that goes with trying to make ends meet at this time of the year without battling in and you know in and out to Marymount Hospice to be with her husband and she's finding it lonely she's very sad and she's just finding the whole situation heartbreaking and she reckons from somebody who loved Christmas so much she says she reckons she'll never get that feeling that wonderful Christmas buzz bless her heart she feels she'll never get it back again well anyway some people offering advice John uh, says listening to that uh, uh, email I was there says John and as a family we went through a lot and I felt very similar to what she's saying about Christmas But the help will not come to her. You actually have to go out and seek the help. John agrees with me, the words of advice I gave. Tell her to reach out to the great people at Marymount Hospice. They, for example, says John, have a bereavement line. John actually rang that bereavement line and he found it fantastic. And he said they actually changed the way he was thinking. And he also went and received bereavement counselling and he would suggest that is something that this lady might consider doing into the uh, future. Anne in Baden Tempest says, Oh Patricia, I feel so sorry for that lady sitting in Marymount Hospice uh, watching her beautiful husband. I know how she feels. She should talk to them at Marymount. Uh, They are so helpful and they will be able to uh, give her the words of comfort that she needs. And then Anna says, My heart is broken for that poor lady. I lost my husband to cancer. It was around this time of year as well. And at the time, I had three very young children. Recently, I've lost my mum and dad just three years apart. I know how dark and lonely the days can be, how hard it is to put on that bright face for the world. And yet you're crying at home and just ment- m- m- melting down on the inside. I'm sending her all my love. And I please ask her, do reach out to people because people are so kind and people are willing to help. They just not might want to interfere. But if she reaches out, people will be able to offer a helping hand and and a comforting word or maybe just an ear to uh, listen to. And Anna says, I send her nothing but love and uh, prayers. So a lot of people wanting to reach out and, and I really hope that she's hearing all of this this morning and knowing that there are people who unfortunately have walked in her shoes uh, before, but you, you 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 come out of the other side. But when you're going through it, you know, the last thing you want to hear is no oh, time is a great healer and all of that when you're actually going 
it through it. When, you've, when you're facing that kind of grief and that kind of uh, bereavement, the pain can actually be physical at, at times and our heart does go out to her. 0818 103 103. Our lines are open. C103 Jobs. An LCV tester for light commercial vehicles is wanted for a busy test centre in um, Mallow. Uh, you can send CVs to garage at dcronenmotors.com. Community employment positions are available in the Fromoy, Kilworth and Aradlin areas. It's for environmental workers, caretaker and an assistant youth worker. Now, if you qualify for community employment, please contact Michelle at 87 4599250. A bathroom sales assistant is wanted to work in Canturk. Now, some experience in retail or showroom setting would be an advantage. Phone 086 3723842 or you can email info at burkeshomevalue.com. And Tria Oil have a vacancy for a truck driver. Now it's for a multi-drop rigid or Arctic deliveries. It's to domestic and commercial companies and it's in the Clonakilty and Bandon areas. Uh, email careers at tria.ie or call them on 87 432863. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Now, a senior social worker for the Cork and Kerry region has warned of disgusting financial abuse of elderly patients by family members who use next of kin status to swindle their money. Joining me to outline her concerns is Ashley Murphy and Ashley is the HSE's Safeguarding and Protection Social Worker for the Cork and Kerry uh, region. Good morning to you, Ashley. Good morning, Patricia. And thank you so much uh, for taking time out to talk to us. I suppose, when start by explaining the role of, of next of kin. When someone is named as next of kin, what exactly does that mean? Okay, Patricia. So I suppose we'd be familiar with the term next of kin for a lot of our form filling with various services. However, next of kin would be a point of contact. So it would be a point of contact who would be nominated by the older person. So maybe a relative, a carer, a friend. From a safeguarding perspective, um, we are a consent-led based service. So we will not discuss a person's um, situation with a third party, even if they identify as a next of kin. So there's no legal rights. They have no legal rights over a person just because they've been named next of kin. No, Patricia. There's no legal rights based in the next of kin status unless the next of kin is appointed under an enduring power of attorney to have those legal rights to make decisions. But that's very different. That's very different. That is a legal basis and that would have been, the the older person would have nominated a person to become an enduring power of attorney when they had capacity to do so and that doesn't come into effect until the person loses capacity to make certain decisions. 
And a next of kin, um, Ashleen, cannot in any way influence a will or the making of a will or the changing of a will. No, Patricia. As I said, next of kin is a point of contact only. Has no rights to make decisions for any older person. Nobody has a right to make a decision on behalf of another person. If somebody makes a decision that we deem to be unwise, it's their right to do so. If somebody requires support to make decisions, then we have the assisted decision-making legislation, which was introduced in April, and that's a fantastic progressive piece of legislation which established the decision support service, which under that service supports people to make decisions who require that level of support to do so. And if an older person, Ashleen, has money or has a property or maybe has a parcel of land, would you be fearful that they are the ones most at risk of financial abuse? Patricia, abuse can happen to anybody at any time. Wealth is irrelevant. And I would think that we can't place a value on financial abuse. So if somebody has money, land, property, of course they're at risk of abuse. But also the older person whose sole income is their state pension. 200 and something euro, I don't know the exact figure. However, if 50 euro was taken from that on a regular basis, then that's abusive and that needs to be addressed. So we can't place a value on the financial abuse. And I suppose we have to look at the broader context as well, Patricia, insofar as financial abuse is not the only abuse, unfortunately, that an older vulnerable person may experience. All too often we see that if somebody does experience financial abuse, there's a psychological impact on that older person. If somebody experiences physical abuse, there's a psychological impact on that person. So there's more than one abuse being experienced by that older person at one time. Yeah, it's shocking. And um, you also say that the fair deal scheme can be open to to family abuse. Can, Can you explain that to us? Well, the Fair Deal Scheme, or the Nursing Home Support Scheme, Patricia, is a scheme in place to support people whose needs have increased to the point where they no longer can live independently at home. They have increased care needs. Mm. So, you know, we have seen, I suppose, situations where there's large families and family politics comes into play well-intentioned family politics come into play. And during those times, older person's voice is lost in that situation. So I suppose that brings us to the importance of planning ahead, Patricia. I can't emphasize enough to all your listeners. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Today, the importance of planning ahead. And how do we do that? We do it by starting to think about your future. What do I want my future to look like? So you think about it, you talk to someone you trust, you consider writing down your preferences, and nursing home care can be something that you may consider. While you have capacity to do so, get those will and preferences down on a piece of paper. Speak to people. So then, if the time comes, the decision will be yours, even if you don't have capacity at that point. That's a great piece of advice. And you do it, as you say, while you're, while you're healthy and fit, rather than, rather than when you get to become so unwell and you're at your most vulnerable then tra- trying to, 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 sort, to sort things out. And Ashley, what do you say to somebody who has concerns maybe about an older family member or a neighbour or a friend who they may suspect may be a victim of either financial abuse or some kind of elder abuse. Who, who do they report their suspicions to? So, Patricia, I would be saying talk to the older person. Talk to the older person. Get their take on it. Maybe the older person would agree with their consent to make a phone call to ourselves. We have a duty service Monday to Friday, 9 to 1, two to four and a qualified social worker is at the end of the line to discuss any concerns if the concerns are financial in nature 
you, your banks, credit unions, financial institutions do have vulnerable customers and safeguarding units as well. We work very closely with financial institutions in relation to um, concerns around maybe bank accounts. And of course, again, I emphasize with the person's permission, with the consent of the older person. But speak to the person and maybe they could make a call. Maybe you could make a call on their behalf with their consent. We are here to provide support in any way that we possibly can. We're not experts, but we're here to provide support. And what about staff? Uh, I'm thinking in, in nursing homes or indeed even in hospitals or, or, or care workers. Can and do they support, do, do they um, report suspicious suspicions about abuse or can they? Absolutely, they Patricia, absolutely. All HSC services and HSC funded services are obliged to follow the safeguarding vulnerable persons at risk of abuse national policies and procedures. So any um, allegation of abuse is reported to the services designated officer and in turn the designated officer would report to ourselves and we provide an oversight of the safeguarding concern in in respect to services. Uh, And I'm half afraid to ask, do you get many calls about concerns of abuse of older people? Well, I suppose when we look at the 2022 national figures, Patricia, you're talking nationally 13,700 concerns. And with the CHO4, that's the Cork Kerry, 1,880 were concerns of the Cork Kerry. So that's pretty high and it's been creeping up in the last number of years. That figure is rising. But is some of that because we're talking more about this? And I would hope getting it out there. Yeah. Yeah, spreading the awareness and talking about not being afraid to talk about the topic of abuse because it's very real. Um, Maybe people are, the awareness and the education is hopefully um, there. However, I do feel as well that this is the tip of the iceberg Mm. insofar as I feel there's a lot of unreported cases also. Yeah, yeah, and that's why we're trying to get that message out to any older person uh, listening uh, who is concerned about themselves uh, to, you know, to contact somebody like yourselves at the HSC Safeguarding. Uh, I mean, it, it's all done in confidence. You can just chat with somebody. Absolutely. Any concern an older person has, the older person can speak to someone that they trust. Alternatively, they can give us a call and we would discuss it confidential with that individual. Consent-led service. So we will, we're led by the older person and we don't ever overstep those boundaries. So if the older person, following discussion, chooses to remain in the risky situation, we will provide them with information, options available, support that they may be able to tap into. But if they choose to stay in that situation, we have to respect their choice. That's their life. They're an expert in their own life, Patricia. Okay, and Martina, listening to us in McCroom, uh, says her son would often try to tell her what she should and shouldn't do. 
Uh, she says he doesn't seem to appreciate that I have lived my own life and I want to do my things my own uh, way. With regard to bank accounts, I trust my son when it comes to handling my uh, affairs, but I wouldn't trust my uh, daughter-in-law. I'm also fearful of the power of attorney. While it can be very be- beneficial, it can be dangerous uh, as well, even if you're of sound mind and body. I have concerns over property that I could lose it. Okay, and I suppose there are cases that we would be all too familiar with. Um, I can't speak to this lady's individual case, but what I can say, if she would like to seek the support of the safeguarding service, please feel free to ring us. Duty Social Worker will offer as much support in our remit as possible, and we are contactable Monday to Friday, 9 to 1, 2 to 4, and I'll give the number at the end of the, the, the call, Patricia, if that's OK. Yeah, and she's also right, you know, when, when she says that uh, her son doesn't appreciate, you know, that she's lived a, lived a good long life and I want to do things my uh, way. Yes. If it doesn't uh, suit me, uh, then I won't do it. And, she, and, yes. and Martina's right. <laughs> she's, she has a right yeah. to make those choices. Is, we yeah. all do, yeah. Patricia. Yeah. So it's what do we want, what do we want our future to look like? It's not about all older people at this moment in time. We are going to be the older person in time to come. So what do we want in place? How do we want our future to look like? Uh, Anne says, Patricia, I dread the time coming when I wouldn't, when I may not be able to make any of those important decisions for myself. I have already made my will and I have nominated my solicitor as the executor. I just want to avoid any complications. And that's that's not, not a bad thing to do. Absolutely, because again, I suppose family dynamics, family politics, if you have your planning in place, then you're reducing the risk of family conflict also, because your wishes are very clearly laid out and it's not what your son wants or your daughter wants, it's what you want. It's, they're laid out there. So it reduces that family conflict as well. Okay, somebody else who's already made their will says I'm coming under pressure by my children uh, for me to tell them what's in my will. I don't want to divulge that information. And she, this person doesn't need to. This person shouldn't have to feel that she has to divulge the information. Yeah, your will is your will. It, your will is your and will. And they shouldn't, they, no one should get to hear what's in that will until after you've passed. I mean, that's, well, that's what again, a will is. It's put it to yourself. Would you want to be treated this way? So this person who's putting pressure on his or her older mother, father, um, would they want that similar pressure placed on them? Yeah. Good point. Good point. All right. Your phone number. It's a Cork number, um, Ashlyn. This is for the HSC's uh, safeguarding uh, contact. It is. It's 021 492 7550. Four nine two seven five five zero, and we will keep that on file. Listen, Ashley, I've enjoyed our chat. Thank you for that, and thanks for taking time out to talk to us, Patricia. I appreciate the time, and just to leave you on a note that every single person has a right to live a life free of abuse and be treated with respect and dignity. Well said. And if if you take nothing from the phone call, and only that, 
that's important. Well, well said. Happy Christmas to Ashley. Thank Very you for happy that. Happy return. Thank God you. Bless. Bye bye. Now, violence against women and girls remains one of the most prevalent human rights violation in the world. With the United Nations currently running a 16-day campaign, which concludes next Sunday, and of course next Sunday, the 10th of December, is International Human Rights Day. Band and Seroptimus Society are involved in the UN campaign, and joining me to explain more is one of their members, that is Joan Sutton. Good morning. Good morning to you, Joan. Good morning, Patricia. Thanks for having well, me Well, you're, you're very welcome uh, to the programme. Uh, you're, you're involved in what is called Orange the World campaign. And I have to say, I had to do a bit of research on this because I hadn't heard about it uh, before. <laughs> Not but, too many people But some have. people in Bandon may be wondering why they're seeing orange high heels. So can you explain it to us, please? Absolutely. The, yes, uh, we decided in Ireland to highlight the Orange the World campaign by putting a single high-heeled orange shoe in shop windows so that people would stop and say, what's that doing there? And we also have little posters with the shoe to highlight, uh, to, really it's threefold, the, the, the aims of the Orange of the World. is to increase awareness of gender-based violence. It's asking all countries in the world to have zero tolerance of violence against women. Uh, it's to give the message to women at risk that you're not alone. So we have a little poster saying you're not alone. And we also have business cards uh, with the helpline. And the helpline is 1800 341 So, um, it's, yes, it's been working really well. The shops have been very good at taking our orange shoes. And we will then finish the campaign. We'll take the shoes away on the 10th of December. And are they actual real shoes? Or are they just a photo? Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I have to ask, where did you get orange stilettos? Well, um, spray paint is very useful. <laughs> oh, well done, well uh, done. It took, it took a long time. We, we actually did it last year. We started it last year. It was the first time we did it. And uh, there was a lot of orange painting going on. Uh, this year, luckily, we had some of the shoes left over, so they just needed to touch up before. Terrific. Before and and no problem with the businesses and, and the shops taking them in for you? No, people, people have been really good and really receptive. And, you know, we're just hoping that we will reach people who need the phone number and, you know, we can be of some help to people. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I always feel, Joan, you know, highlighting campaigns like this, it's all about getting uh, other people talking about the issue of uh, gender-based violence because those of us who are lucky to have never experienced it may not fully understand yes. it. Whereas you never know when you start to talk to somebody, you know, because it can be very hidden, the Absolutely. issue of especially domestic violence. It's actually incredible how many people that I've talked to going around the shops who have told me stories about, you know, people they knew, people in their families. So it's really, it's really incredibly um it's, you know, there's more of it around than we think. When you think of um, since the, the the awful murder of Ashton Murphy, there have been 19 women killed in Ireland. And since 1996, 244 have been killed. And usually like 87 percent were, were by men who knew them. You know, they weren't they weren't strangers. So it's really it's really a problem. And. You know, the Council of Europe group of experts actually brought out a report a couple of weeks ago and it found that urgent improvement was needed in Ireland about how it tackles gender based violence. So, you know, not enough is being done. I know the government have brought out zero tolerance and, you know, they're working at it and Helen McAtee is working at it. But 
there's more to be done. Definitely yeah. more to be done. Yeah, because you know? if, if you even look at some of the you know, statistics, one in three experience violence. This is the one that yes. shocked me. Worldwide, more than five yeah. women or girls are killed every hour by a family member. That's just... It's dreadful. It's, it's just dreadful, a shocking, it, shocking uh, figure. And then the one that I always worry about is less than 40% of women who experience violence seek help. It's to get that message yes. out that there is help yes. there. Yeah, so we're hoping that, you know, with the, with the 24-hour helpline, can I just say it again? Please it's do. 1800 that women will, will, you know, see that and they lift the phone and look for help. Yeah, because, you know, while everyone is getting yeah. looking forward to Christmas and how, how great Christmas is going to be for, for most yeah. of us, for some, it'll be just a nightmare. Yes, yes. Yeah. And it gets normalised then, you know, so, yeah. I don't often get the opportunity to talk to Sir Optimist's groups. So t- tell me a little bit about <laughs> the, the band and Sir Optimist as society. How long are you? You're running a good number of years. Well, um, in Ireland, it's been running since 1934, you know, and and people say to me, where does that name come from? And it means, you know, it's from the Latin, soror, meaning sister, optima, meaning best. So it's like best for women. So, in fact, it's it's a voluntary, it's international, it's all over the world. And it's working to improve the lives of women and girls locally, nationally and internationally. And we in Ireland, um, we have a public speaking competition that we run every year, which is very successful for girls in second level, usually transition year. And that is really successful. And it's, it's amazing how how good the girls are at public speaking. And, and so that's that's very strong. We also do um, charity, you know. We had, we had a bridge afternoon in Bandon a couple of weeks ago and we, we run a pancake coffee morning on Shrove Tuesday, which we'll be doing next year as well. <coughs> we do all sorts of things for charity um, as well. So And, uh, and, know, and lot, I imagine a lot going on. Yeah, a social side to it in that it's a great way to make to build female friendships. Absolutely. Absolutely. We do have the odd day out as well. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's a, there's great friendship there, really. Yeah. And yeah. and I'm listening to your gorgeous lilting accent, and it certainly isn't a Bandon accent. And and it's I'm wondering, Cork, no. I, I'm wondering, is that did you join in order to make friends locally? Was that one of the reasons you got involved, or uh, not really? Because I've been here for thirty years. Okay. The accent hasn't changed over the years, yeah. but uh, it's it's a north. Uh, there there is a north south conference we have every year as well. No, it's it's just a way of um, I think doing something, giving something back. You know, when you have time to do things, it's nice to to get involved in different things. And if anybody else out there wants to join us, you know, I leave my phone number with with John Paul. Yeah, it would be great. Yeah, and so you're always <laughs> and, open to and, always open to new members then. Absolutely, absolutely, yes, okay. yes. All right, well, I know I know of your work so, you do. I know the Sir Optimists do fantastic work uh, around the world and I think this current campaign is just typical of the type of work that, that you do. So long may it uh, yeah. continue. And maybe one day we will be able to talk about the fact that we have ended violence against women and girls. Oh, what a wonderful yes, world yes. we would live in if that was to be. Yes. Joan, it's been yes. a real pleasure. Thank you for that.
Lovely to talk to you. Patricia. And lovely to Thanks talk to you as well. Out. God bless. Take care. That is uh, care. Joan Bye. Sutton uh, joining us from the Bandon Seroptimist Society. If you're in and around Bandon, you you uh, keep a lookout for those orange stilettos. They're in shops and businesses and will be there until the weekend. C103's Christmas Coverage. With Super Value Gift Cards. Perfect for every occasion. Available in store or online for e-gift cards that can be sent with a personal message. Search Super Value Gift Card. Again, another huge response. You can stop texting us. We have selected our listener today and it is Ashley O'Sullivan in Mill Street. Uh, good morning, Ashley. Hi, how are you? How are you today? Not bad, no, not bad. Is it a miserable day in Mill Street, weather-wise? Uh- yeah, it's cloudy. It's cloudy, but it's not raining. So. Oh, as it, as it. We're, yeah. We've still got rain looking out the window here. It's a pretty horrible day. OK, we can brighten up your day. We've got a quick question for you. Yeah. And the question is, in what town was Jesus born? Was it A, Paris or B, Bethlehem? Bethlehem. <laughs> <laughs> I have to ask who's writing these questions. But anyway, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Okay, you, you are today's qualifier. You have, um, you, you, is there, there is super value in Mill Street, isn't there? Yeah. There yeah. is. There is. Yeah, I, there I, is indeed. I remember yeah. back, back in the day of the Eurovision, I remember broadcasting from above the super value in Mill Street. We set up a little studio there. That's just about it. In the back. Square, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, would you have a lot of people to be buying for Christmas, Ashley? Oh, loads. <laughs> do you host the Christmas dinner or do you go somewhere yeah. else? Well, we have it at my mother's, so I give it a uh, coffee. If I wanted, I'd pour it Okay, well done. Well yeah, done. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Keep your phone on because after six today, you might just get that call from Martina. Oh, very good. Very okay. good. Congratulations. Thanks, thanks, thanks a million. Thank bye bye. Okay, Ashley O'Sullivan Mill Street, our latest uh, qualifier for our Christmas Uncovered. Now, we look for another qualifier with Nick. That will be uh, on his programme after one. And then Martina will get the fourth and final qualifier for the day. And then at six, she makes the draw where one listener gets a call back. And that listener picks up today's 500 euro voucher. And who knows, it could be Ashleen O'Sullivan in uh, Mill Street. And thank you to everybody else for taking part. Let's clear the text and WhatsApp lines now on 0862103103 because uh, we are looking for your gardening questions. If you've got a question for Peter, Dowdle, you can get those into us either by text or WhatsApp, or you can call John Paul. He's taking calls as well to 086 2018 Now, some handwritten letters. We always welcome your handwritten letters to the programme. I've got two in front of me with uh, two uh, people looking for advice and uh, help. One reads Patricia. I used to look forward to going to 10am at 10am mass in McCroom every morning and then meeting up with people afterwards to go for a cuppa. But now because of lack of parking in the vicinity of the church in McCroom, my husband and I and I know along with other older couples have stopped going in the morning to McCroom Church. The parking problem was aggravated by the fact that the old little shop and the parking area that went with the shop has now been acquired by Unpost and all that parking is lost to the town because Unpost are using the building as a sorting office and therefore need to park their vans uh, there. Please highlight this on your programme as we hope the council and the local enterprise board should call a meeting to try to highlight this issue. Maybe local politicians 
could call a public meeting um, because we would dearly love to get back to our daily mass. Please don't read out my name on air, but it is from a listener in McCroom. Are other people having problems trying to get to the 10 a.m. mass because of lack of parking? Or if you know the area well, can you suggest where this listener and her husband and she reckons there's others as well who are not able to get? I'm assuming they need to park close enough to the church. Maybe it's mobility issues. I'm not sure. But if anybody can advise, please do 0818 103. And Eleanor writes uh, to, to the programme uh, saying, um, could you please help me? My sister and I visit a dear relative's grave as often as we can. It's in Drimaleague Graveyard in West Cork. Now, over the last two years, the toilets at the church, it's an outside toilet, are always locked. Now, we travel from County Kerry. It's a long journey and we would need to have the toilet open. I'm wondering, is the person after retiring who used to open and lock up the toilets at the end of the day? The village of League doesn't have a restaurant open, so there's nowhere I can go to spend a penny. In November and December, probably the busiest months when people will visit cemeteries, uh, surely something needs to be done. Thank you for highlighting this. Now, I'm assuming if the toilets were closed for the last two years, I take it they probably started locking the toilets during COVID times. The pandemic would have been would have been. Uh, in full blow and, and a lot of the churches were locked up is is that one of the reasons but I don't know why it, the toilets have remained closed so we need somebody in the League area please to tell us why is the outside toilet at the church by the graveyard why is it closed uh, because for our County Kerry listeners having driven all that way uh, they may just want to spend a penny if anybody can help us with that 0818 103 103 Back to some of your comments that have come in on issues that we have been dealing with uh, today. Let me just scroll back up here. I got to that one. This is on um, elder abuse. Remember we spoke about elder, elder abuse with Ashley Murphy, who's a senior social worker and uh, she, she specifically deals with safeguarding, particularly when it comes to older people. Dennis, and she was explaining next of kin and how when somebody gets nominated as the next of kin, some people are abusing that and think that, you know, next of kin comes with some legal rights and it doesn't. Dennis says, I have never understood why people People think that next of kin has any kind of a legal basis in law. Next of kin is just who gets contacted in the event of an emergency. If anybody tries to exploit it as a legal position are to exert undue influence, you should call the Gardaí and have them arrested. Anyone who goes along with this next of kin nonsense is complicit in the abuse and they should all be charged and prosecuted. End of says uh, Dennis. You know, we're trying to get the, I think Ashley, the social worker, was trying to get the message out uh, to people that, you know, just because you've nominated somebody as, as a next of kin, they can't do anything to influence you in any way when it comes to you know, financial. But it seems a number of next of kins are using it when it comes to the making of a will or the changing of uh, a will. I know I read of uh, one case where a next of kin sent a solicitor 
into somebody who was very unwell inside in, I don't know if it was a hospital or a nursing home, to get them to change their will. And guess what? They got them to change the will in favour of the next of uh, kin. But thankfully it was uh, highlighted. Uh, Risha says, I agree with Ashley and your social worker and what she's uh, uh, talking about. In my case, it is my daughter-in-law, I think, is putting undue influence over my son. For example, she's getting him to sign a number of things over to both of them. My daughter-in-law is also using my late husband's work discounts, which we as a family are able to avail of. I have no problem letting my son use the discounts, but my fee- my daughter seems to be all about money and benefits. And every conversation is trying to grab, grab, uh, grab. I and mean, that's, that's more to do with uh, a relationship, I think, between mother-in-law and daughter-in-law. Uh, Rita, maybe I don't know if you can talk to your son about it or not, but I mean, don't be forced into doing anything that you personally don't want to do. And then Elizabeth contacted us and said, the more land or the more money a family has, that becomes no real family. Uh, Every one of them are watching out for what each one can get. And that's what happens with wealth. You might be better off being poor, says Elizabeth. And Catherine, by uh, email, Thank you for having that conversation with Ashleen Murphy, the senior social worker. A point I would like to make. As a full-time carer, I have absolutely no right to get any information about my adult child that I'm caring from. Ashleen stated that even if the person makes a bad choice or a bad decision, the carer can't intervene. Yet as a carer, I would have to pick up the pieces. As a carer, I'm sidelined. Yeah, I, I, I do think that is uh, an issue uh, and it is a problem, particularly with all of the assisted decision making, you know, legislation that, you know, was needed and, and is needed. But I do think there are a cohort of uh, people and I think you, you sum it up uh, very well who are looking after adults with special needs, with, you know, intellectual uh, disabilities. And yes, of course, you know, and I can say we in this because I do have a child uh, and uh, who's now an adult child, even though she'll always be our little girl. But I do have an adult child who I, I look after and I do have to make decisions for her because she can't always make decisions. And I try and make what I feel are the best decisions for uh, her. And she's not in a position to make a decision. But if she was and was about to make a bad choice, then technically, yes, she is an adult. I I wouldn't be able to stop her. And I understand it is the carer then that is left uh, picking up the pieces. So I think that is an issue that still needs to be addressed and and hasn't been uh, properly uh, addressed. But I do know that, I mean, there's a really good advocacy service. It's a free service. If you wanted to get an advocate on behalf of your charge because they I think can uh, advocate but yeah it's it's a tricky one and it is a dilemma. Thank you for your uh, email uh, Catherine email in Cork today at c103.ie and then I had uh, Laura Boyle who joined me on the programme on behalf of residents in the Formoy area who are very concerned about the proposal for the B&B in their area is there a name on this? There isn't it's just somebody who signs themselves a lifelong Formoy uh, resident I'd like to congratulate Laura Boyle who joined you on the programme and all of the other wonderful people who are keeping that 24 hour round the clock vigil going at the Abbeville House uh, former nursing home in Formoy where the proposed 56 refugees are said to be housed without any consultation with the local community to allay their fears as to who exactly will be housed at the former B&B in Formoy. It's this stealth undercover approach to sneak in a proposed 56 single men 
into Abbeville House that has the people of Formoy petrified for the safety of our children due to the proximity of the accommodation a mere 200 metres from our picturesque town park coupled with an already overloaded public health system which currently sees a very lengthy waiting time just to get to see a doctor or a dentist. Also, housing availability is next to impossible for those already seeking accommodation in Formoy Town. The town has overextended its quota of refugees and asylum seekers to date. We are a very welcoming town. We're a multicultural town and we always have been. But we are now, Patricia, bursting at the seams. And if we don't attempt to deal with the constant flow of refugees into our town, Everybody here will lose out. Locals and refugees will suffer the consequences of an already overburdened community. And once again, well done to Laura and the amazing volunteers. Kind regards. Oh, it's Patrick, there is a name. Sorry, Patrick, I didn't see it until I got to the end. Who described Patrick describes himself as a lifelong uh, Fromoy resident. But I go back. It's in Patrick's comment there and Laura said it as well. It's this lack of communication that happens when the powers that be make decisions and they decide that this is going to be, you know, a a place that will house refugees or asylum seekers. They need to get into negotiations. They need to check what services are available in the area, what services are stretched putting extra people into the area, what will it mean to the services that are already uh, there? There's a lot more work to do than just deciding, oh, that building is suitable, that can that can house 56 people. Let's put 56 people in there. But if they don't have doctors, if they don't have jobs, if they don't have school places, if there was children involved, I, I can understand why locals get so, so upset by it. And it all goes back to, as it's been starting since the beginning of the refugees coming from Ukraine, it's talk to the local people and let them know what is going on. Oh wait, one eight one oh three one oh three and on Helen McEntee surviving the vote of no confidence. Somebody said Patricia, serious assaults are continuing in Dublin but according to Helen McEntee the streets of Dublin are safe. Obviously she is uh, wrong and then last night the crowd in the Dáil passed a vote of confidence in her and people can't see the light uh, as the TDs only seem to be looking after their own seats and then that listener sent on a piece of it's um, it's from I don't know whether it was from the 5th when was the 5th um, Tuesday so it's from yesterday and it's a news report of a young man remains in a serious condition in hospital after an attack involving a group of males in Dublin city centre on Sunday night man in his 20s he was out socialising with friends when he was attacked it was a, stir- a disturbance involving a group of males and it happened on a premises on Utter's Quay before 9 o'clock on Sunday evening the man in his 20s suffered a head injury and he was t- taken from the scene by ambulance and he's currently in Beaumont Hospital where he remains in a serious uh, condition. How safe are the streets of Dublin? And actually I've just seen it's on a news feed. I'm just seeing beside that uh, it's just showing that it isn't just Dublin. There's another report of a man hospitalised after an assault in County Clare. There was a man arrested after a woman allegedly was assaulted on a Lewis and then there was a report of a man dying following an early morning assault in uh, Limerick. So we seem to have assaults on the increase. And does it go back to not having enough a Gardaí on uh, the beat and enough of a Garda presence on the beat? 0818103103. John Paul is taking your calls. We are looking for your gardening questions for Peter, please. You can text or WhatsApp 086 
2. 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council reminding you to support local when choosing gifts this Christmas. The Castle Magna Senior Club are holding their 10th annual cookery demonstration. It's in the community centre tonight at 8. Local chef Hazel Burke. Mission is 10 euro. It will include a booklet with all of the recipes and the methods used uh, tonight. Everyone is welcome. Donorell Choir, they're recruiting new members. If you can sing or play a musical instrument, you can join their Christmas choir practice. It's tonight at 7 in Donorell Presentation Pastoral Centre and then practice is ongoing every Wednesday thereafter. The monthly Mass in honour of St Pio. That goes ahead in St Joseph's Church in Lismire. That's tonight at 8. All are uh, welcome. And St Michael's Centre are holding their Christmas party in the Munster Arms Hotel in Bandon tonight at half past 8. Tickets are still available, €20, and they're available from the the centre in the Town Hall or at Scannell's Pharmacy. That's in Riverview Shopping Centre. And Mallow Art Club is delighted to welcome back the well-known watercolour artist Barbara Barrett. It's tomorrow evening at the West End Art Gallery. Barbara will paint a seascape. Doors will open at seven for a half seven start. Admission five euro for members and seven for non-members. And person seeking assistance from the forthcoming Christmas season from the Society of Vincent de Paul from the parishes of Inishannon, Kilbritton, Newcastle, and Bandon. You're pleased now asked to forward your requests. You can send them to SVDP Shop Box that's on Weir Street, or you can drop them into St Patrick's Church Box in Bandon. And uh, please note that you need to have your requests in by this Friday. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Thank you to somebody in the Drimmer League uh, area, uh, to the listener who wrote to us who travels from Kerry to Drimmer League uh, to visit relatives' grave and discovered that they, there's a toilet outside the church and that every time they go now it's locked. And uh, was wondering why the caller who wrote to us, um, Eleanor says she reckons for the last two years I was wondering was it anything to do with Covid. Anyway, uh, somebody says Patricia, the Drimmer League church toilets are unlocked for mass and for funerals. Unfortunately, they can't be left open 24-7 because they, they may be mistreated and yeah, and that's what happens when you allow uh, toilets open all the time. But can you let that listener know, Eleanor, there is a toilet next to Centra Supermarket in Drimmer League. Okay. Yeah, because Eleanor was saying that they couldn't find another local toilet. So Eleanor, Centra in Drimmer League. You'll be able to use the loo there and pop along uh, to see your relatives' uh, graves. And I know there was a couple of, and I didn't ignore them, I just didn't get a chance to get around them. Uh, the, and Pat has just messaged in as well on the same topic. Says, Patricia, could you clear clear up what was Leo Varadkar meant in his speech yesterday when he was talking about constitutional shelter, about family members and relatives? Can you talk about it on the programme in your own time, uh, please? That is to do with we are having a referendum there's going to be a change to the constitution and uh, there is one of them is going to be the, the, the reference to women in the home and it, this has been considered several times but it recently came up at a citizens assembly and there's going so we're going to have a referendum next year I think it's March of next year I promise you we will be doing so much more about that uh, referendum uh, because it's only now starting to get really mentioned that the date has been selected but certainly into the new year we'll be doing a lot about it and we will be talking about it in more detail 
detail. But just in case people thought that I was ignoring uh, their comments that were coming in, I wasn't. I just didn't get a chance to get around to it today. I can see gardening questions coming in for Peter. You can keep those coming in. You can text your WhatsApp 0862 103 103. And I don't want to let them... I meant to mention this yesterday, but again, we had a busy programme just to say how much I'm thinking of Jason Corbett's family in uh, Limerick and my God, what that family have been put uh, through. And the Jason's family now have admitted their fears that his killers, Tom and Molly Martins, were being prepared for early prison release. And they reckon it's been going on from the first day they were put behind bars uh, last month. The father and daughter were transferred to a high security prison prison after embarrassed authorities now had to admit a mistake was made in calculating their early release from a local county jail. Now I'm reading Ralph Regal who is well up on this particular topic and he actually was over in North Carolina for the recent trial and of course he co-wrote the book with uh, Jason, uh, Jason's sister uh, Tracy about the death of her uh, brother. Uh, I'm reading Ralph today is saying that a major investigation is now underway in North Carolina as to how the parole board calculated the the duo who remember bet Jason Corbett to death with a metal baseball bat and a concrete paving slab. How they could have qualified for early release having served just one month of what was now and is a seven month sentence which was an extension for voluntary manslaughter. Molly Martins was given early release despite being had breached prison rules on a number of times and the planned release date was also proposed a full six months before the expiry date of the minimum sentence and remember that minimum sentence was imposed by ju- by the judge uh, David Hall. Uh, Jason's sister Tracy Corbett Lynch who has spearheaded the campaign for justice for her brother said that the North Carolina authorities now have some very hard questions to uh, answer. Tracy also uh, warned but for the efforts of the Irish media and the justice for Jason's supporters, she's absolutely convinced that the Martins would have been released either yesterday or today. Now, a North Carolina Department of Corrections website, they indicated that the father and daughter's incarceration status would end this week on December the 4th. And that caused further confusion by hinting then that they had also been briefly released. But that's been, um, the North Carolina officials have said no, they they were not allowed out of uh, custody. But the North Carolina Department of Correction confirmed that Tom and uh, Molly were it's stated on the website to be released on the 5th and 6th of uh, December. And it was what Ralph has found out is that the corrections office initially insisted that the, the calculation was correct, but it was only when a second check was done following the Irish media saying what's going on here, that this major mistake was uncovered. I think they've since come out and said it was a human uh, um, um, error. Now, it sparked outrage because it's just four weeks ago that the pair were sentenced for the voluntary manslaughter. Both Tom and Molly had spent... uh, three years and eight months in in jail. But that was when they were convicted of second degree murder. But of course, that was overturned. And then they went for the plea bargain and they got voluntary manslaughter instead. Um, Jason Corbett's family described the resentencing hearing as a character assassination on their brother and father 
deaths of the two kids on his good name. They were He was attacked by defence legal teams and that was a bit, of course, to get the lesser sentences for the Martins. And they now say that the early release was described as a betrayal and an insult to the memory of Jason uh, Corbett. So their current projected release dates remain the same, which will be the 27th of June next uh, year. And they, they have now been transferred to a prison. But why have they, why do they remain in the county jail? The suspicions is that they were going to release them um, uh, early. Tracy Corbett Lynch said it was nothing short of appalling that her family had not received a formal apology over the embarrassing sequence of events and they're now demanding an explanation as to why uh, Molly and Tom Martins had been kept in the Davison County Jail for the last four weeks and why they hadn't been transferred to a high security prison which seemingly they have now. Uh, Tracy and her family are still awaiting an apology for what were dis- deeply upsetting events on uh, Monday. So just when I saw this unfold on Monday I just thought what more can this family be be put through? They, you know, Those two children are still coming to terms with the fact of how their father died and they will live with that uh, for the rest of their lives and then what they had to go through on the, the sentencing was just beyond uh, cruel. They really have suffered uh, enough. Uh, but well done to everybody who got involved in that campaign to make sure that they didn't get out uh, early. And we think of uh, the, the two children in particular but also Tracy, his sister and the rest of the family who have just fought so, so hard in, in Jason's memory. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And from the freezing cold weather yesterday to the wet windy day today, Peter Dowder joins me to talk about all things in the garden, even though I don't think people are doing much gardening today. Uh, Good afternoon to you, Peter. It's wet, windy and still a bit cold, Trish. Yeah, yeah There's not too yeah. much gardening being done, no, not yeah. today. But I was making the point that when I got up yesterday morning, it was minus four degrees. And when I got up this morning, it was plus eight. I mean, just in 24 hours, you know, 12 degrees of a difference. Yeah, it's a huge difference. And um, uh, the, the frost now that we've had, the kind of minus two, minus threes and minus fours over the last couple of nights, will have, will have put the garden to sleep for the winter and not before time either, Trish, because, uh, I mean, we're into December and it's, it's about time we got a a bit of cold to, to slow everything down. I, it, I don't think the, the change, even though a 12 degree change in 24 hours is dramatic, I don't think that's going to, to wake them up yet, hopefully. Anyway. Yeah, OK. There's, there's a couple of people worried about begonias, so I'll put the two questions together. Uh, is it OK to let begonias in pots dry out in a polytunnel over winter? While um, another listener wants to know where should I store my begonia tubers for winter? Is a sh- an outside shed OK? Well, yes is the answer to both, actually. But two easy questions to start with, Trish. Um, so, yeah, if you have if you have begonias, the tuberous begonias uh, growing in pots, uh, and you can you have the facility to bring those pots in and, and let the compost and that dry out in a tunnel during the winter, well, that's absolutely perfect conditions for them, really. You don't need to take them out of that. Um, and similarly, with the garden shed, if you have tuberous begonias growing in, in pots or in the, the ground, um, if it's there in pots, you can just move pot and all into the garden shed, same as with the tunnel, and that'll be fine. It's the easiest way to do it. But if they're in the ground or you don't want to bring the pots in, just take the tubers out. Now, the 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 the, the foliage and the flowers will have very dramatically turned to mush over the last couple of days. They will have gone from being green and maybe a bit of flower to, to brown mush overnight. Um, so take, take the tubers up if you want to. Let them dry out for a couple of days. Uh, wrap them in a bit of bit of brown paper or straw or newspaper, anything like that. Just something to keep them dry. Uh, and and into the the garden shed, it'll be fine. Or if you don't have a garden shed, you know any any kind of cool cool dry cupboard 
would, would be fine. I couldn't believe how mine disappeared overnight on the, the, the first of the hard frosts. I mean, literally, I got up in the morning, I looked out the window and they had been still, some of them were still in flower the day before. And literally, as you've described, they went into mush. Yeah, it's very dramatic, isn't it? Yeah, you think they might, die, they might die off gradually, but no, they don't. OK, uh, Edward has a waterlogged section of his lawn. It's always been there. He's wondering, is there anything that can be done to sort it out long term? That's it. For, I suppose for Edward, uh, Edward is similar to lots of people in the country right at the moment. Lots of people have waterlogged patches in the garden at the moment, but that's because we've had such excessive excessive rain and we're, we're getting more of it now today. But he says it's there long term. So with it's impossible for me to say without seeing it. But when you have waterlogged areas like that, it's caused by norm, normally caused by one of two things. So it's it's caused by compacted soil underneath which is where as it sounds the soil has got compacted from overuse of heavy machinery perhaps during building works particularly if it's a relatively new house where you'd have had heavy machinery going over that leads to compacted soil um that's fixable you can you can excavate you can dig down you can improve the soil structure by by adding organic matter and you know improving the aeration uh, in the soil and the porosity of the soil that will help uh, to alleviate soil compaction issues and and thus improve drainage by adding more grit and stuff into into the soil there if it's soil compaction however your other the other possibility is and obviously i don't know the garden don't know where he is but if it could well be a water table issue where the, the water table is simply up that high um and if that's the case then i'm afraid really that the, there's nothing you can do it's you're, you know you're fighting against nature so you're not going to win that one so you've kind of got to work with nature i think if it's a, if it's a water, an area of the garden that's waterlogged because of the high water table i think you need to look at plants that actually like those conditions as a tro- as opposed to trying to change the conditions if you know what i mean yeah yeah okay caroline says question for peter please um when can i move my camellia it's only a few years old but the leaves have gone very pale thank you and happy christmas to all from caroline happy christmas to caroline too um the, that's my first time saying Happy Christmas this year. Yeah, just realised. Yeah. <laughs> there, there you go. go. Uh, I know you're. I know you've been probably saying it since October. Yeah. You're you're a Christmas addict. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but back to Caroline's camellia. So, if it's showing yellowing in the leaves, that is showing that it's not overly happy and probably lacking in a bit of iron. So, moving it would be good advice. Um, the fact that it's only a few years there is good because moving an established camellia, you know. It does bring the more established the plant is. So in other words, the longer the plant is there, the bigger the risk of failure when you move it. So if it's only a few years, move as big a root ball as you can uh, with the plant. So if you can imagine dropping a piece of string from the outermost leaf, well, that's your root zone. That's the root ball you want to get that kind of size. The more, the better. Uh, you want this this frost now, this cold weather is, has been a help, but it, I would say leave it a while longer. Leave it to January, I would say, till it gets really, really, really cold or we've had, it, it's had more of a chance to go dormant move it during January but there is a risk I'm afraid even then that you will lose it but that's the right time and that's not that old so I'd say hopefully you should be successful but there is a risk Okay Jennifer cut her roses back hard just before the hard frost and she's now fearful has she done damage? No not at all that'll, no. be, that'll be absolutely fine you've, you've, you've cut off all the growth so like it, 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 the, the rose has gone to sleep for the winter so it should be absolutely fine Hi, is this from Margaret? Hi, Peter. When is the best time to prune holly? Is it after Christmas when the berries are gone? I want to prune it so that it will produce berries for next year. Uh, you you have a short enough window there. You need to you need to if you want to berries for next year. You want to prune it 
fairly just after the berries this year if you like so kind of january time but a light pruning because you don't want to prune too hard to remove to remove any of of uh this next 2024's flowers if you like so a light prune in january february you can prune it hard if you want but then you do risk not having berries the following year so if you do want berries the following year i would say give it a light prune in kind of january february Okay, I'm always fearful that this might be uh, Google predicts. Is there such a thing as a mother-in-law tongue plant? <laughs> there is, oh, there is, there is. Somebody wants you're right know, for being fearful. Somebody wants to know, <laughs> I thought maybe the tongue had come out of something else. How do I look after it, please, says the listener. <laughs> There's nothing to it. It's, a, it's, a, it's an indoor plant, a house plant. It's the uh, easiest plant in the world to to to. to care for you just you know give it give it a bit drop of water i would say once a week uh, but even though i don't like giving advice like that because it might be once a week in your house it might need it less often in my house or in another house it might need it more often depending on the, how warm and dry the house is um i would err very much on the side of underwatering they don't need huge amounts of of direct sunlight either they're a very good plant a very easy plant and what's what's particularly good about them uh, trish is that they are they're constantly giving off oxygen. So indoor plants, as you know, are probably the best air purifiers that we can get, better than any of the electronic gadgets, just indoor plants inside. They suck all the, the nasties out of the air and in return give us fresh, free oxygen all the time. But many plants then, there's a period during the night where most plants become net CO2 contributors. It's only marginal, but they do give off CO2 as they're respiring. Uh, the mother-in-law's tongue is one that doesn't. It's constantly uh, giving off oxygen. So it's a brilliant one to have in the bedroom as well because it's constantly cleaning the air and giving us all fresh oxygen. But very, very little maintenance to it, really. Because you are a mine of information. OK, and a, a festive one. Is a warm sitting room the best place for a Christmas poncettia that I've received as a present this morning, says a listener? You very kindly called me mine of information and then you come in with a question about poncettias. And, <laughs> because you're not great with the poncettias. <laughs> reg, reg, regular listeners will well know that Peter isn't brilliant with poncettias, no. So the answer, the textbook answer to the question is yes, a warm sitting room with plenty of direct sunlight for your poncettia that doesn't like to be any kind of in, in any kind of a draft. So uh, near an opening window or an opening door is a big no-no. But the most important thing, Trish, and I think you know what I'm going to say, is where you get it and when you get it, yeah. that the damage hasn't been already done. So when you're buying it, buy it from, um, like, if you go into a garden centre as opposed to a supermarket, and I'm not dismissing all the supermarkets before the phones go mad, but if you go into a good independent garden centre, they should know how to how to store and how to care for poncettia so that, in other words, it won't be next to uh, the fridges in the supermarket where you've cold air blowing at it and hot air from the from the motors. It should be in, in a very constant and consistent atmosphere. When you're buying your poncettia, if you're not sure, just give it a shake in the shop. If it starts dropping its leaves, leave it behind you. You don't want it because it won't get better, won't improve. So once you get it home, if it's in good condition, the plant when you buy it, Warm living room, as the question asks, perfect, plenty of sunshine um, and, and a bit of tepid water as opposed to cold water, if you don't mind. Because it'll, it can drop its leaves very dramatically. It's the fussiest plant I have ever come across in yeah. my life. Yeah, so if, if it gets drafty or the fluctuating temperature is too much or the water is too cold, anything. But but once you get it, once you once you do get it, and I take my hat off to my mother-in-law who has managed to get a poncettia going for the last few years and I'm well sure done. she takes great delight in showing it to me. Um, uh, 
once you do get it in somewhere that it likes, don't move it. Yeah, because you will see that in some supermarkets. Um, there's one in particular I know, and it, they, they, they always have the pancettias right beside the electronic doors. So there's a constant yes. breeze. You're thinking, oh God, how long are they going to survive? And they look absolutely gorgeous. And, and then there's a preference for, I think, a white and a red one together. They're absolutely stunning. I love them too and just like that I was in the local supermarket to me at the weekend and just as you say next to the the automatic doors and uh, because they're all wrapped in these plastic sleeves they look perfect and they look like they're fine you take the sleeve off half the leaves come with it and then you've wasted your money I'm afraid Okay listen we've got to leave it there thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining us and we'll talk again uh, next week that is uh, Peter Dowdle the uh, irishgardener.com Okay that's where I uh, leave you for today my thanks to John Paul McNamara Nick's up next we'll talk to you tomorrow at uh, 10 Court today on C103 With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 